before we go any further, I want to underscore what Pastor Mike said a little while ago. Members, please stay a few minutes following the service for a called conference. Since our regular business meetings are quarterly now, occasionally along the way, we need a called conference just to keep things moving, keep the gears working. So that's what this is. It won't take but just a few minutes afterward, and it actually prepares us for the quarterly meeting coming up in April. Uh, now, I said members, you stay. Uh, if you are a guest at First Baptist Church, maybe this is the first time here, or you've been a regular attender for a while, uh, you're welcome to stay as well. We're not running you off, but you're welcome to stay. That's a lot of times a good way to learn about a church is sit in on a business meeting, even if it's a brief one. So I encourage you to do that. Just want to let you know, however, that you don't have to do that. Uh, we will have a transition there at the close, and when we're transitioning into our uh, called business conference, if you are a guest with us, you're welcome to slip out at that time. If you're with us online, uh, the conference will not be live streamed. So uh, before you wonder what happened, that's what happened. The conference is not live streamed. It's a uh, called conference, so it is in-house. Uh, also wanted to mention that today, well, this week, actually I think it's tomorrow, Christy Smith celebrates five years as our worship coordinator, First Baptist Church. So we appreciate her service. Yeah. If you have your Bible with you, find again with me the Gospel of Luke in your New Testament. Luke chapter 5, turn to there, turn to the Gospel of Luke and just hold your place there for just a minute. Dave Welding owns a Mazda and lives in Seattle. And Mr. Welding uh, has found out, and his name is a little bit ironic when I tell you what, what's going on in his life. Uh, Mr. Welding has found out that his radio station and his brand new Mazda is locked into just one station, welded, I guess, in, into one station. Uh, it's national public radio, of all things. But what happened was he was listening to his radio station, and the signal from the station fried the connectivity circuits in his car. So not only is his radio station locked on national public radio, his Bluetooth doesn't work, his GPS doesn't work, nothing that requires connectivity to the outside world in his new Mazda works. And he's not the only one. Several Mazda owners across the country, and in particular in Seattle, uh, have found this same problem, that for some reason that signal coming in to their Mazda, if they turn it to that station, it fries the circuits and the connectivity, and they are stuck on that one station. It reminds me how a lot of us kind of get stuck in life, not really knowing what to do next, not knowing how to go forward. We get stuck serving ourselves and can't really remember what we're supposed to be doing. Why, why are we here in the first place? What is our purpose, and what are we wired to do. In 2016, a survey was conducted among adults 18 to 24 years old, asking adults 18 to 24 years old what it meant to be an adult. And far and away, over 80, almost 90% of them said, being an adult means to have a clear purpose in life. Almost 90% said, being an adult means having a clear purpose in life. In a follow-up question, the researchers learned that less than half of those 90% knew their purpose in life. They knew they needed a purpose in life, but they were stuck. They had no idea what that purpose was supposed to be. As we continue in our message series, Faces in the Crowd, uh, we're going to be with Jesus this morning as he meets a man who is stuck. 
He's stuck in a purpose that he has invented for himself, and, and it's a self-serving purpose. Like many of us, we've convinced ourselves that our job in life is to serve ourselves. But Jesus is going to show him differently, just as he would show all of us differently. And, and the core of this story is the call to follow Christ. See, if you believe yourself to be a Christian, then at one point or another, you answered the call to follow Christ. You trusted him as your Savior. You accepted him as your Lord. You said, yes, my purpose is in Christ. I will follow Christ. And that's what it means to follow Christ, is to find your life, your purpose in him, to answer the call to follow Christ. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you never have. Either way, I think this morning you're going to relate to this particular man in Scripture. He's actually well-known and famous throughout uh, Christian history. We'll read his name as Levi. You know his name in the Bible as Matthew. He's the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, before we read the passage or the story, let me set this up for just a minute. Uh, this takes place again in the town of Capernaum where we were last week in Luke chapter 5 with Jesus. Capernaum is a fishing village on uh, uh, next to the uh, Sea of Galilee, which locals called the Sea of Galilee. The technical name was the Lake of Gennesaret. And Capernaum was a popular fishing location. It was a hub of activity and commerce for the whole area. And one other thing that was interesting about it, because it was a hub of activity, it was a place that the Romans and the Greeks, the Gentiles, and the Jews all got along. It was an island of cooperation in an ocean of prejudice and division in the ancient world. Capernaum was a good place to live, a good place to work, a good place to learn about God and, and to have friends and to have neighbors. And something else we know about Capernaum is by the time of this story, Jesus has made Capernaum his home. Uh, he, when he went to Nazareth early in his ministry to his hometown of Nazareth to preach there, they got angry with him, and they ran him out of Nazareth when he claimed to be the Messiah. So he has moved his home base to Capernaum, which is where Peter, the apostle, and Andrew, his brother, are from. That's where they live. That's where they have homes. And two more times in the Bible, Capernaum is actually referred to as Jesus' home. So at this time in his life, this is actually where he lives. He's well known in this area at this time. And that's where we meet this man, Levi, also known as Matthew. Because Capernaum is a hub of commerce, the Romans have set up through the town of Capernaum tax stations, uh, places where people can come and pay their taxes to the authorities uh, all throughout Capernaum. So people are traveling, they know when I get to Capernaum I can pay my taxes. When they live in Capernaum they know they can pay their taxes there. So a tax booth or a tax station is common in Capernaum. And that's where we meet Levi this morning. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 27. The Bible says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and, be and he began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him, that is Jesus, at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Let's talk about Levi for just a minute. 
As I said, you know him in Scripture mostly as Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. But on this day, as a young man, he's not yet an apostle. He's not yet that Matthew. And until this day, he's not a follower of Christ. He's a tax collector. Now, as a tax collector, that meant that he was a Jew who worked for the Roman government. The, The Romans did not want to sully their hands with collecting taxes from Jewish people whom they despised. So what they did is they enlisted Jews who were good accountants, good at numbers, good at banking. They enlisted them to be tax collectors. And it was a lucrative business because the tax collector not only got a high percentage of the taxes, now and then they would just shave some off the top for themselves. Now, as you know from this story, and if you know your Bible very well, you know that tax collectors... Uh, were considered traitors to the Jews because they worked for the Roman government. And not only that, they were considered religiously unclean. They were not permitted to show up for worship in synagogues, and often they were thrown out of their own homes. They were not allowed to come to meals uh, or or to what we would call fellowship time of, uh, of others in their community. They were ostracized because they were traitors, and they were considered unclean. Now, you might get the impression from that that, that, well, Matthew's a good man, he just chose a bad job. He's a good man, he's a good character, his his neighbors and his friends should not be ostracizing him because he's a good man. But that really misses the point of what it meant to be a tax collector. See, in order to be a tax collector, you were not a good man. You were unscrupulous, even ruthless. You were unethical by nature. You were the kind of person the Romans wanted to be a tax collector because you would steal money, you would cheat your friends, your family, and your neighbors for yourself and for the Romans. We need to pay attention to this. There's more than one reason Matthew's considered a sinner. It's not just because he's a traitor, it's because he's a sinner. And they know it. In order to have the job, he had to be a liar, a cheat, ruthless, unscrupulous, and unethical. And then Jesus comes along and says, Matthew, follow me. The two stories we've seen prior to this went like this. The first one, you'll remember, was Jesus healing a leper, a face in the crowd that no one would touch, no one would come near. A leper considered religiously unclean because of his outward appearance. There was a spiritual connection to his outward appearance. And when Jesus healed him, Jesus sent him to the religious authorities to confirm his healing. You remember that? Then last week, we saw the paralytic lowered down through the roof, and things tighten in just a little bit more. This time, Jesus doesn't not only heals him, but before he heals him, he says, your sins are forgiven. He has inward transformation And then he heals, Jesus heals him for outward confirmation of the inward transformation. And he gets up and he walks away. But the thing is, he didn't ask him to profess his sins. He didn't, the Bible doesn't say everybody knew the long laundry list of sins of the paralytic and and what exactly Jesus was forgiving. And then we come to Levi. Everybody knows he's a sinner. He's unclean not because he's a paralytic, not because he's a leper. He's unclean because he's a sinner. 
He's unscrupulous. He's a cheat. He's a liar. He's ruthless. He's unethical. He gets wealthy off the backs of his family, his friends, and his neighbors. And he's fine with it. And everybody knows it. You know why God preserves this story for us? So that we'll never forget that anyone, anytime, anywhere can come and follow Christ. Anyone, anytime, anywhere can come and follow Christ. Anyone, anytime, anywhere can answer the call of God in Christ Jesus to come and to follow Christ, to be cleansed, to be saved. And there's not one among us, not one among us, that is so much a sinner, we can't answer the call to follow Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? Maybe you think you do. Maybe you think you have. Maybe you think you are now. Maybe you know you never have. I want us to park there for a few minutes this morning. What does it mean to follow Christ? That's what the story teaches us. So let's look at it a little more closely this morning. What does it mean to follow Jesus? First of all, following Jesus requires a response. It requires a response. It requires a personal response. The Bible says that Jesus was passing by that day and he saw Levi, he saw Matthew, and he called out to them, to him, come, follow me. He required a personal response. Now you'll remember that by this time, Jesus is well known in Capernaum. Everybody knows who Jesus is. He's been healing the sick. He's been teaching. He's been walking the streets. There's no doubt at all that Levi had seen Jesus. Levi might have even heard Jesus teach. Levi had likely heard of the healings of Jesus. But what Levi had not done is made a personal decision to follow Jesus. The invitation of Jesus to Levi to follow him reminds us of the call to all of us, a call that requires a response. God extends the grace of God in Jesus Christ to us. We know about him. The call of God to follow Christ is there, but we have to respond. Nobody does that for us. And the Bible tells us that Levi got up. He was sitting in the tax office. He got up, left everything. And followed him. Leaving everything behind is that turning point for that person who would come and follow Christ. It's that, that distinction, the line in the sand, the point at which you say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to leave this behind. It's a description of a definition Jesus gives in verse 32. He gives us the definition of this description. I have come that they might repent. It's repentance. It's leaving behind what held you back from following Christ. It's, it's turning away from the old life and it's starting a new life in Christ. It requires a response. A lot of times we think we can float through life and do what we want to do and come to church occasionally and that's the same thing as being a Christian uh, well, no, it's, it's a churchgoer. It's not being a Christian, and it's certainly not following Christ. Following Christ is not serving on a committee. It's not coming to church. It's not doing good things or being a good person. All of those are commendable, and all of those are important. But for believers in Christ, worshiping in church, uh, serving in church, loving your neighbor, 
loving your brother and sister in Christ, all these dictates of Scripture, they come after you make the personal decision to follow Christ. Following Christ requires a response. You can't be passive. You have to make that decision to follow Christ. Second, following Christ begins a relationship. It begins a relationship. Uh, We are told that he left everything, did you notice this, and began to follow him. It doesn't say he began to go to the synagogue more, he began to serve on committees, he began to give more money, no. It says Levi began to follow Jesus. Now that phrase, began to follow him, underscores the word him in the Greek language. It's very personal. He he began to follow Jesus. And it distinguishes the ways of religion from the person of Christ. He began to follow him. But also the phrase, began to follow him, means that on that day he made a decision that he would continue to make the rest of his life. Here's what I mean. When you decide to follow Christ and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, on that day you trust him as your Savior, you follow him as your Lord. You accept him totally, wholly, and give your life to him. That's a one-time event, unrepeatable. You trust Christ as your Savior, and you are saved, as the Bible says. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 3, you're born again in Christ. But still, now and then, that old sinner self raises its head and says, hey, you need to do your own thing. Hey, today, why don't you take care of yourself? Hey, today, your decisions matter more than what God wants in your life. So that same phrase also means that while he began at that moment to follow Christ, he would continue every day to decide to follow Christ. Every single day, you get up and you say, God, today, I will follow Christ. I will set aside my whims and my will and my behaviors and my habits. I'll set aside what I want from my life. I will get out of the tax booth and I will follow Christ. This is not about me. It's about Jesus. Every day, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, every day you wake up and you decide, today I will follow Christ. Jesus himself said this, Luke chapter 9. He said, for any who would come after me, You must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Every day you decide, I will follow Christ. The sad truth is, most Christians believe that one time you walked down the aisle and that day you got baptized was the day and the only day you ever need to worry about surrendering your will to your Savior and your Lord. No, that's the day you got saved. The rest of your life, you decide every day, every hour, every moment. Not my will, but yours be done. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. If you feel stuck on the same station, maybe that's why. Maybe you've been getting up every morning and this is the way your life goes. I'm going to do what I want today and if I need God, I'll let him know. I've got a great day planned. If I need God, I'll let him know. You know what? Everything's going so well, I don't need God. I won't let him know. That's not following Christ. That's following you. Following Christ requires a response to the call of God in Jesus Christ. Have you ever responded to Christ and said, yes, I will follow Christ? It begins a relationship, not a religion, 
a relationship. Everything else comes out of that. Everything else follows that. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you have a relationship with your God through Jesus Christ. And then third, following Christ changes your mission. There it is. It changes your purpose. You suddenly realize why you're really here. It's not to sit in the tax booth and serve yourself. It's to do what Jesus wants you to do with your life. Why would you make that decision? Well, remember, you know you're a sinner. He knows you're a sinner. And he called you to follow him. And when you trusted Christ, he forgave you of your sins. He forgave you of your sins. I was reading Psalm 70 this morning. Psalm, Psalm chapter 70, verse 4. is the people of God crying out to God just one thing. Just one thing. And it's, us, it's how we should show up for worship. You know what they say? They yell out to God, great is God. What else can I say? Great is God. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be able uh, to serve him. I don't deserve to be able to come and worship freely. Great is my God. He's so gracious and good to me. In that moment that Matthew stepped out of the tax station and started to follow Jesus was the moment his life changed because he put the old life behind him. He put the old sinner self behind him. He put the old desires and ambitions behind him and he said, I will follow Christ. My mission now is not me. It's not serving me. It's not getting what I want out of life. My mission is serving Christ and following Christ. And because of that, he gets to see Jesus work. He gets to see Jesus work. This is one of the most fun passages in the Gospels. Matthew is so excited about his newfound salvation and following Christ. He knows he's been forgiven. He knows he's experienced the grace of God. And if Jesus can do it for him, he knows Jesus can do it for everybody else. So what does he do? He throws a party. And he invites all his sinner friends, all the other tax collectors in Capernaum, to come to his house to meet Jesus. For those of us who say, well, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. I, I've, I've never shared my heart about Jesus. This puts us to shame, doesn't it? Oh, he, he didn't have a clue. He just got saved. All he does is throw a party and puts Jesus in the middle and says, meet Jesus. And it's a good reminder too, by the way, that people who need Christ, they're not about us. They're about Jesus. They need Jesus. They probably have had enough of us. They need Jesus. And he's the one that can change their lives. So Matthew throws a party. And by the way, I want to point this out also. We just learned that he left everything Remember, he left everything to follow Jesus, and yet he still has his home. See, to leave everything is to give everything to Jesus and let him decide what he's going to do with it. That's what that means. It doesn't mean he's going to scoop you up and send you uh, across the globe. It might, but not necessarily. It doesn't mean he's going to ask you today to give away all your possessions. It might, but not necessarily. What it does mean is when you leave everything to follow Christ, you leave the old life and you give him everything. And it's up to him what happens after that. So Jesus uses Matthew's home as an outpost to meet people. And he's in there, and they're, they're talking, and he's chatting, and you can just see Matthew beaming. He's so excited what Christ has done for him. He wants Jesus to do for his friends. And here come the Pharisees and the scribes. 
if you ever read the Gospels, you'll notice the, 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 the hatred the Pharisees and the scribes have for Jesus escalates as they go. You remember last week uh, when Jesus said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, they grumbled. The Bible says they grumbled among themselves. How can he say this? God and God alone can forgive sins. That's blasphemy. And the Bible says Jesus knew what was on their hearts and answered them. Did you catch it? In this story now, they're not grumbling among themselves. Now they're grumbling to the disciples. See how it's escalating? It's progressing. Now they pull the disciples inside, aside and they say, your master eats with sinners. You eat with sinners. How can you do that? But again, it's Jesus that answers. And he answers with a saying of the day that he applies to God and to himself. I didn't come for the sick, God says. Excuse me, I didn't come. The doctors don't come for the healthy. They come for the sick. Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous, and that's a little bit sarcastic. I came for those who know they're sinners, who are willing to admit it. Now, the Pharisees were self-righteous, not truly righteous. That's where the sarcasm comes in. I came for those who know they need a Savior. I came for those like Levi, like Matthew, who know it's time to follow Christ. I came for those who know they're in desperate need of help, of salvation, of cleansing. They know that they're a sinner. Those are the people that are ready to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be saved, and to follow Christ. The sad truth is that religion, like that of the Pharisees and the scribes, often blinds us to the fact that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. But when the person comes to follow Christ, it, it changes their mission because it changes their perspective. It, it changes our view of ourselves and of the world because we know we're sinners. And Christ was gracious to save us. And won't he do that for others who respond to the call to follow Christ? Toby Martin was 22 years old. He was in college, and he was eventually going to study for the ministry to be a pastor. And one summer, he signed up to be a part-time youth pastor in Myrtle Beach, at a church in Myrtle Beach. And his, his responsibility was to teach the youth on Wednesday nights and on Sundays, a part-time job, so he needed more work. So Toby got a job at a gym uh, in Myrtle Beach. And it just so happened that this gym where he worked was right across the street from a strip club. Well, he would bring his Bible and his study books and he would sit there at work unless he was checking out equipment or helping people check in to use the gym. He would study for Wednesday night and he would study for Sunday. And that gym was a favorite of the strippers across the road who would come and they would work out at the gym. And, so, and after a while, out of curiosity, they would come over to the counter and they would start, start up a conversation. And he was friendly, he would talk to them, and he would write later, as soon as they figured out I wasn't going to ask them on a date or anything even less appropriate than that, they opened up and they were happy to talk. And he would tell them uh, regularly what he was studying, what he was preparing, what he was getting ready to teach the youth. He would say, can I explain this to you and you tell me if it makes sense? So he would explain it to them and, and sometimes they'd say yes and sometimes they'd say no, tell me again. And eventually he would share the gospel. And he, he said he shared the gospel with stripper after stripper over time and they, they kept coming in and they kept talking to him. And one of those strippers was a young lady named Sunshine or her stage name was Sunshine. A lady named Sunshine and she came up, she talked to him and, and she, he shared the gospel with her and, 
and talked about the Lord and talked about the Bible study, and they eventually uh, connected, and he said to her one day, you think you'd like to go to church with me? And she said, yes, I'll go to church with you. And he writes later, I immediately knew I had made a mistake because I suddenly realized what's going to happen when I take her to church. But he writes, but you don't uninvite somebody to church. So we scheduled it, and she, she said, hey, can I drive? He said, that's great. And he said, it's even better because she had a much nicer car than I had. And she pulled up on that Sunday morning to pick him up in her white Corvette, and she actually had her daughter with her. And since it's a two-seater, the daughter sat on her lap while she drove through town to church that morning. And, and Toby writes that, they got out of the car and they walked in together and they, they deposited her child at the preschool at the nursery for church and then they walked into the sanctuary together, he underscores. And he said that's when it started. The stares, the looks, the coughs, the whispers. And he said since I was the youth pastor for the summer, I sat up front. So the two of us marched right up front she sat down on the front row of this church. I did my part for that Sunday. And he said, while I was up there doing announcements and doing my part and we were sitting there, I could feel her shrinking a little more and a little more from the stairs that morning. As soon as the worship server was over, we stood up and we went out to exit and a deacon caught my arm and he said, would you please meet us in the pastor's office? And he told her, I'll meet you at the car. So she went on out. She, she and her daughter, she got her daughter. They went out and they got in the car and Toby went in the pastor's office and he said, I was ambushed. It was all the deacons and the pastor. And he said, the short version is, they asked me, how dare you bring a person like that into our church? You are responsible for teaching our teenagers. What example are you setting for them? He says, I'm ashamed at my response, but at 22 years old, all I could say was, I'm sorry. He says he, he went out and he got in the car. And Sunshine was sitting in the car, started the engine. They were starting to pull out of the parking lot. Everyone else had already left. And he said, maybe just out of habit, maybe out of obligation. I'm not sure why I said it, but I asked her what she thought about church. And Sunshine a stripper said, and I quote, I've never felt more demoralized and degraded in my whole life. And she left. Toby Martin is a pastor now in Florida. And you know what his church is best known for? A ministry to strippers. Sometimes we forget what it's about, don't we? God help us. Jesus said it. Never forget it. I didn't come for the self-righteous who think they're already saved. I came for those who know they need a Savior. Come and follow Christ. Come and follow Christ. Let Him change your life. Let Him change your mission. Let Him change your purpose. Let Him forgive your sins. Let Him show you what He can do when He shows up. And you yield to him every day. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to pray for us believers in Christ. I'm going to pray for you and pray for me that 
If God has shown us in our hearts that while we said, yes, we would follow Christ, the truth is, every day we get up and we say, God, we'll let you know if we need you. We're going to ask God to forgive us for that, and we're going to yield to him again. And Maybe you're in this room or you're at home and you've never said yes to following Christ. You've never trusted him as your Savior and accepted him as your Lord. You've never said yes today. I want everything to change. I'm going to pray a prayer with you in just a minute. A prayer to put all your faith and trust in Christ. I'll pray it out loud, but I want to encourage you this morning to pray it to God in your heart and receive Christ as your Savior. Answer the call to follow Christ. Heavenly Father, God, how we thank you for your grace. Because of your grace, it's because of your goodness, because of your compassion, because of your grace that we can even be here today. Father, I thank you for all of us who say we are followers of Christ. I thank you for that day, God, that we realized we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we can't li keep living for ourselves, that we're stuck. And God, I pray today for us as believers in Christ, those who say, yes, I, I follow Christ, I know I'm a Christian, we realize, God, that when we get up every day, instead of yielding again to you, Father, we're stuck in this pattern, this routine of doing what we want to do and then asking for your help if we need it. God, forgive us for that. Father, I pray for all believers in Christ. It's on our hearts that we would start over today and say again, yes, I follow Christ. Your will be done in my life. And God, for those present in this room and those at home, I pray, Father, that if we've never trusted Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we've never answered the call to follow Christ, we would do that today, praying by faith this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am. And Jesus, I know that I cannot save myself. I'm stuck in a pattern of lostness and despair. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me, to forgive me of my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're alive today. So Jesus, by faith, I put all my trust, my faith in you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, today I say yes. I will follow Christ from today for the rest of my life. Repenting of my sins, repenting of that old life, leaving all that behind. Today, I will follow Christ. Father, for all of us who have prayed those prayers, I pray, God, you do a fresh work in our lives. I pray tomorrow morning we would wake up yielded to you and excited about the, anticipating what you're going to do in our lives today. Father, we praise you and we thank you, God, for the goodness you show us in Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.